0: This podcast is sponsored by Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo by visiting GlobalShopSolutions.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Upside Swigs NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the great Stone Hanson and the wonderful stupid The wonderful Cooper Clyde, this is a bad start. We have not recorded in a little bit, and that's because we've been ramping up for uh, what is going to be a really busy time for us. Um, We're going to be going through individual prospect breakdowns in all of our next few pods. Uh, We're going to do a ton of March Madness stuff when that comes up, Uh, and then it's going to be the 30 Teams at 30 Days series. We're going to do that again. We're going to talk with someone from every single NBA team, uh, someone who covers that team. Uh, and get a little sort of draft primer for them so lots going on lots to think about it it's about that time of year uh, so it's we're we're excited we took a little bit of a hiatus to sort of get ourselves prepared uh, but we're back and we are going to talk about uh, two of the more fun uh, players at the top of this class with Paolo Banchero, Paolo Banchero and Adrian Griffin Jr. I'm struggling to speak so I'm going to throw it over to you guys uh, before we get into it. Uh, how are you guys?
1: uh doing pretty well um i finally have today off from work so it's been fun just watching a bunch of film um always good to talk to you guys uh how are you doing super cooper
2: yeah uh super client i'm doing great uh i've had a really great time just being able to dive in and pound out duke film um, and i'm just really excited to talk about you know just really get into the weeds here talk with y'all it's been a while uh, just you know really ready to get into it
0: yeah um i i actually i didn't say super i said stupor so let's let's uh let's not in, inflate your ego even, here with even mine. worse <laughs> cuz i i have like stone on my tongue uh what a what a horrid start but that's okay we're we're here to we're going to we're going to crack the ship um yeah so so let's just let's just dive right into it i think that uh palo is a perfect place to start with this draft uh, we've heard lots of talks about this draft in general being a weak class, weak at the top. We don't know who the number one pick is. Um, you know, there's not a ton of depth either, w- whatever. Um, and we're trying to come into this with a blank mind. Obviously we're draft people. We follow the draft uh, for long stretches. This is not by any means our first exposure to Palo Banquero, but trying to sort of come at it with a fresh, fresh eyes and, and, and just sort of take each prospect for what they are without thinking of the class as a whole, uh, I think Paolo makes a lot of sense as where to start. Um, he's a guy who, who could potentially be the number one pick. Um, he's a guy who a lot of people are saying probably isn't even top five in this class. Um, he sort of has some interesting, there's definitely some interesting views on Paolo out there. Um, I think the first thing we should do is just sort of uh, give a general overview on sort of the the, the stats and stuff. Um, So Paulo Banqueiro, 6'10", 250-pound forward playing at Duke. Um, He was, I think it was him or Chad, I can't remember, was the number one player in in all the um, RSCI stuff. Uh, He's from Seattle, Washington. So, you know, obviously love that. Um, And he is averaging, you know, 16.7 or 16.8 points per game, uh, shooting only about 30% from three, but still a fairly efficient offensive player right now. Uh, 2.7 assists, 2.4 turnovers. Uh, you know, there, there's a ton we can go into statistically that we will get to eventually. But before we do that, let's just talk uh, in general, like Coop, what is your sort of initial view of Paolo? Like, what do you think of him? Like, like, what's his greatest strength? What What is the sell with Paolo, like top two, top three,
1: top one?
2: So generally with Paolo, uh, to me, the sell is a really versatile offensive player who can score at all three levels, can get you some self-creation, but can also be a play finisher. Um, and it's really that, you know, he can create his own shot with his back to the basket out of a pull-up, out of a, a post-up, you know, face-up. He's got, he's really polished in all those areas and he uses his strength to generate a lot of easy baskets, but he can also hit the tough ones. He's really great as a role man or as a cutter, you know, just in, almost every single aspect as a scorer, you know, he's got some passing, you know, flashes. He's pretty consistent as a ball mover and he's not going to kill you on the defensive end. He's a pretty solid defender as well. Who can make the right rotations can slide with guys for the most part. Um, Just a pretty well-rounded offensive and defensive player who has upside on both ends, but mostly on offense to really just be like a a next level player. And that's kind of like, in my mind, the the basic sell with Palo.
0: Yeah, uh, Stone is is your sell any different, or is that about where you're at?
1: Um, I would I would agree. I, I pretty much um, in lockstep. If I were trying to sell Palo, that's the number one. That's that's probably the uh, the route I would take as well.
0: Yeah. So let's just let's just dive right into it then. Talk about specific skills. Uh, Coop, you mentioned sort of part of the selling is his versatility on offense and. I think the way that manifests most is like his versatility as a scorer. Um, So I just want to dive into his scoring package. Some things I noticed. um, I think the first thing that that stands out is just like how textbook his footwork is. It's so manipulative. Um, It's really, I mean, he gets it in the post or or attacking closeouts or especially, you know, he shows his jab series uh, from all over the court. He has that little stutter rip. He has that little uh, kind of rocker step move, like, he has, he has all that sort of triple threat footwork. Um, but the footwork also extends to like when he has a live dribble um, and we'll dial, we'll delve more into the ball handling as a whole, a little later, but uh, he's still just like, he uses his feet really well. He, he chops his steps perfectly or um, you know, he can get into euros or spins with ease and then in the post really nice footwork as well. And he combines that with excellent touch. I would say with both hands. Um, He's definitely more comfortable with his right hand, but he can go to his left. He can finish with his left uh, in a variety of ways. Doesn't necessarily have like a baby hook to his left or anything like that. But, you know, if he's if he's right around the basket, he'll finish with his left fine and um, gets into his jumper as well. Um, That's that's sort of the first thing that stands out to me is just like the footwork is so immaculate for someone of his size and age that it's it's honestly pretty rare. I struggle to think of anyone else that I can really compare it to that at this period in their career, had the type of footwork um, while also being 6'10 and 250 that, that Paolo has. So um, that's sort of the first thing that stands out to me. Uh, Stone, is that sort of the first thing that stands out to you? Or are there other things you sort of notice or, or, or where do you want to take this next?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's um, obviously you know a big standout. I think the other portion of it sort of is his frame and how he uses it. He's, he's just so strong. Um, and he can create so much space, especially in the interior with with all that strength that he has. He really only has to sort of move his shoulder into somebody, and he creates instant instant space for himself. Um, yeah, I think uh, if you're trying to sell him as, like, a number one guy, the fact that he can create his own shot from pretty much all three levels is, is where I would start, and I think that Paolo has upside to do that. Um, I'm not necessarily – sure how much I buy all three levels of that um we can get into that a little bit more but um I think that he uh shows the ability to really um create off the dribble and also take advantage of sort of shifted defenses really well um I think the scoring portion aspect of that is actually probably uh what allows him to be such a good passer which we can get into as well but um yeah, I think, I think the scoring is really sort of where hit the core of his game starts and, and opens up so much, so many other portions of his game. Um, yeah, I, I mean, long term, I should say, I think I buy him as a shooter who projects fine as like a spot up guy. Off the dribble, maybe a little less so, but again, the footwork is so impressive that it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up being an above average shooter. Um, the biggest thing for me in terms of his shooting right now is just how inconsistent his shots really are. Like there's so many misses that clank off the back or off the side that are air balls. He just misses in so many different ways and he'll be wide open and the shot just bricks um, and closeouts really affect him a lot. So there's just, there's aspects to the shooting that I think are give me a bit more pause than other people maybe, uh, a little bit more reason for concern. And I think um, some of that, again, is mitigated by, you know, the ability that he can create his own shot and that he, um, you know, is a fine free throw shooter, fine touch in the mid-range. Um, so I think eventually there's there's room for optimism that, you know, he can extend out further. Uh, but I think expecting anything in, at least in his rookie year, in the first couple of years probably, um, I would be pretty surprised if he was like an above average shooter from three because right now there's just so many different aspects that I am concerned about, but I think that can be pretty easily tied up once he, he gets into the league.
0: Yeah, um, I think I'm h- higher on the shot than both of you guys. Um, there's a lot I noticed um, kind of going through it. I watched quite a lot of uh, slow-mo paddle Bancaro jump shots uh, watched a lot of free throws, which is always sort of an interesting practice to do. But uh, one thing I really like on most of the shots he makes, uh, especially spot ups, like the shot prep is just perfect. Um, a lot of the times you guys are talking about, like you can tell when it's going to go in. I don't even think it's out of his hand. It's that you can just tell inherently by when he, you know, steps into the shot the right way, ready to catch. The balls at his chest like hit this the touch is just softer it's just a cleaner motion um there are times he hesitates and and that leads to a lot of the misses or if he doesn't expect like if his first thought is not i'm going to take a spot up it's i'm going to drive and then he doesn't get the closeout he expects so he so he shoots it and the shot prep wasn't there uh that leads to a lot of his his misses because i just don't think his mind is always in like like i'm going to take this spot up it, it's it's sort of more spread out for him sometimes so when the shot prep is there it's really good he gets loaded before the ball hits his hands ball hits his hands he's right up with it um and then the pull-up footwork again is just excellent like he's super comfortable um one twoing into a shot hopping into a shot uh he kind of likes to have his right shoulder more to the rim sometimes which is interesting for a right-handed shooter like he'll kind of step like right foot first and then have his right shoulder more to the rim when he's shooting. Uh, and I think that's because he likes to bring the ball right by his right hip. Like he doesn't start sort of in the middle or uh, sort of go like like right to like the left side of his head like like some right-handed shooters do, like, like Alonzo Ball is the most obvious example, or like Kevin Durant does that too. Um, but he does go right hip to sort of middle of his face. Uh, and, and that's sort of like, I think maybe just like getting him to be more square would help. Like, again, I sound like an old man and and I'm not like a shot doctor trying to trying to fix these guys jumpers, but uh, I think that could maybe help him a little bit. I think some of the reason we're seeing the differences in, in jump shots is one, sometimes he feels like he has to take really bad shots, um, which he, which he shouldn't. And that's more of my worry. Isn't that he's not a great shooter. It's that I don't know why he feels like he has to take these bad shots when he doesn't have to, uh, the Duke offense is really good. It has a lot of other talented players. One we're going to talk about in a little bit. Like he doesn't have to take bad shots, but he pretty consistently does. Um, and I think that's the biggest reason for this this issue is that he's not always generating great looks, even when I think he can. Uh, it sort of reminds me a little bit of Trey Mann last year where it's like, I feel like he just doesn't recognize that he can create a better advantage here and he's just settling. You know, just getting him to be more like, like this pull up is available to you. But if you took one more dribble and dropped a shoulder, maybe, you know, you could fade, you could get into your, your post actions, whatever it is. Like there's just more there. And I think he's just not quite realizing that yet. And that's something I think in the right NBA system is going to come out. So uh, I'm pretty optimistic on the shot long term. I think there's a world where on spot ups, like he's like a 40% shooter in the NBA who, even has some potential, like, like uh, pull up gravity, like, obviously, that's a high bar, but I think the shots gonna be really good. The touch is there, the, the mechanics are there. Um, some small tweaks, I think would go a long way. And I just I, I, I think the shots, I think the shot is just something I'm, I'm not really worried about at all. And what's really exciting is I think if he can really get that shot to a very, very high level, we're going to see him take advantage of the passing. So I, I want to transition to the passing. Um, that the beginning of this year, there were some, some takes out there that like Paolo couldn't pass that maybe he like, you know, he has to reach these certain really high scoring thresholds. And I was like trying to hold out. I'm like, no, like this was one of the best passers for his size I've ever seen in high school. You know, let's, let's be patient with this. And I think it started to show more. Uh, It doesn't necessarily show up a ton in his statistics, uh, but he does have his moments So Stone, Coop, where are you guys at with Paolo as as a passer and playmaker for others?
2: So just to start, like what you were talking about with where people kind of overreacted at the beginning of the year, I don't think Paolo was ever a bad passer. It was just that the assist numbers were really low. Um, He created a lot of shot opportunities, like going back and watching these early games. He's creating shots. He's driving. He's getting attention. He's kicking out. Uh, guys are taking shots. They're just not hitting them. Uh, and you know, it hurts that their best shooter didn't play very much, uh, Adrian Griffin jr. But like, he has been a strong stationary passer all year. He's also just had a lot of low lights at the beginning of the year of him moving, trying to throw cool passes and looking a little bit goofy. There's one that comes to mind where he's on the fast break with Mark Williams and he flings the ball off the backboard for an alley-oop and Mark Williams, it's like over his head it doesn't help that Mark Williams is like a really slow jumper, but like I like it, it, it looks bad. It looks bad for Paolo, even though it's not necessarily his fault. Uh, And, but he mostly started out the year. He's making uh like, mostly post hub type passes. They started off the year getting him mostly touches in that mid to high post, you know, drawing guys, taking those, that free throw line jumper that he was like super, he was like super, you know, informed, like told to take uh, and then like perimeter, perimeter type stuff that doesn't create a ton of advantages unless it was against the zone. But then as the season's gone on, he really was able to, like he started pulling out like inside, inside passes to Mark Williams with like reach around shit, uh, like going around his guy, uh, a lot more live dribble kickouts, which I think was really the most impressive thing because usually he would have to stop, reassess and then kick out. Uh, and that's really been the most impressive stuff about his passing development. It's not like the assist numbers that have always kind of been there, but uh, like the live dribble passing has gotten so much better. And I think it's just that he just needed, especially at the beginning of the season needed a little bit more time to process what was going on. And as you know, he's gotten more reps, more run in the role that he's been put in, he's been better able to, you know, see the floor, make the passes that you want to see.
1: Yeah, for me, I, uh, I I sort of viewed it as a pretty mixed bag for Paolo, um, in terms of the passing. Uh, I agree that I I think so a lot. Like I was saying earlier, a lot of it is derived from his scoring. It, just his scoring gravity alone brings so many opportunities for him to be able to pass uh, because he gets doubled or or things like that. Um, so I think one thing that really stood out to me. I'm not sure if. It stood out to you guys because I haven't really seen anybody else mention it. So I wanted to get your guys' takes. Um, It seems to me like a lot of times when he has the ball, he sort of makes like the first open pass that he sees. Um, Like a lot of the time, he he doesn't wait to really scan the floor for a long period of time. It's just like the first opportune pass that he sees, he'll make it. Um, I'm not sure if that was something that stood out to you guys, but that's something to me that I sort of picked up on Uh, where he he just tends to not really wait and scan the floor for a very long period of time it's just sort of the first cutter that he sees he'll he'll make that pass Um, Was that something that you guys saw at all or am i I just sort of seeing things here
0: no i'm definitely with you i think he's a very much like um you know palo played quarterback and he's very much like a first read quarterback right like like um he's his best passing is, like, in sets that are made for him to pass. Like, he's great at that. Like, his passing delivery is excellent. Like, um, he can make one-handed passes, two-handed passes. Like, like he has great touch as a passer, but I'm with you. It's definitely, like, one read. You know, like, he's – if if he's driving hard right from the elbow, he's reading one help guy, and that sometimes leads to some turnovers because sometimes the defense is a step ahead of him – um there's one play specifically I remember against Florida State where he drives um he's on the right elbow and he drives right and the 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 um guy helps off uh Adrian Griffin Jr. in the corner and Paolo kind of turns thinking that the pass is going to be there throws it before he sees and the guy who was on I want to say it was like Jeremy Roach on the wing had rotated down and picked off the pass like it was nothing if he would have you know, read the floor more, he could have made that pass to Jeremy Roach, maybe force, you know, some closeouts and stuff. But I think he's definitely a one read passer. And then he's also someone who I think is trying to pass to the assist rather than pass to the advantage, which is slightly different. And I, I don't think that's unfixable. I don't think that's like him being like a selfish player or anything. I just think that's what he's used to. You know, when he played at O'Day or even Seattle Rotary, Seattle Rotary had a lot of talent, but he was still the guy. You know, it's, it was always like, he's going to get his, he's making the place for the team. He's out thinking the other team when he's not that like next level above everyone. It's sometimes he can't be a one read passer. I think there's upside there. I think he sees the floor fine, but it's definitely like the first open guy he sees, he sees the potential for an assist. That's the pass he's going to make. So I
2: I definitely, I'm with you. So I uh, kind of in the same vein, it's slightly different, but one of the things that is, kind of worried me but hasn't worried me too much is that it seems like Paolo predetermines a lot of what he's going to do uh with the passing in in it, with the passing specifically he drives with the intent to pass a lot especially to start the year it got better and that's what i'm talking about like what i was talking about earlier is that you can see that he's at least seeing the floor better and if he is predetermining Uh, It's to a lesser degree, or he's able to see the defense more. Things are slowing down a little bit for him, but you can tell like what you're describing, he sees Jeremy Roach, he sees the defender sagging, and then he doesn't look to like check if he's actually there and react and throw the ball to Jeremy to, or from AJ. I'm speaking gibberish right now, but uh, like as a passer, he predetermines the pass he's going to make instead of seeing the floor and like reacting from there. He does it as a finisher too. That was the big area that I noticed where if he decides he's going in for a power finish, he can't switch to a, like a finesse finish. He's capable of both. Like he's capable of a touch finish or a power finish, but if he decides he's charging in there, he can't stop his momentum at all. Or he like it takes him too long and then he crashes into the guy. Or he tries like he will go in for like a strong putback. There's a guy in the way, and he tries to go for the touch touch finish, and he just like flings it off the backboard. like it seems like it like it seems like the processing speed has sped up as the season's gone. but I think that uh, especially to start the year, that was a big part of uh, the problem to me is that he just predetermined a lot of what he was going to to do,
1: yeah, and sort of adjacent to that um in terms of the passing uh a lot of the passes that i see him make especially more so in the half court is that he he walks in on the guy that he's gonna pass to like he he makes eye contact with them he makes it very clear that's the pass he's gonna throw and to a degree that is a little bit concerning to me once he gets to the nba because teams are going to pick up on the fact that you can see where Paolo's is going to pass a lot of times um like Paolo knows where he wants to pass. And if defenses are, you know, really keeping locked in on him, they can see where that pass is going to go before it gets there. And and there'll be opportune times to pick off some of those passes. Uh, again, uh, like Bryce was saying, he's very good at delivering those passes. So, you know, maybe that mitigates that to some degree. Um, but I just think a lot of the times he's he's very much directing exactly where he's going to pass to um and I think that's something that can be fixed uh but something that I think you know should be fixed as well um, as as he goes on in his career um the other thing with the passing that uh I noticed is um he's like a fantastic interior passer um a lot of his passes like within the post whether it's from the post to somebody else or whether he's down low and passing to a cutter, um, that's where he really thrives. Um, if somebody's like cutting towards the rim back door, uh, he makes those fantastic passes. You know, a little bit higher or, or to the right or left of the post from the cutter, um, and you know, is takes the advantageous pass to uh, to get you know, a really open look at the rim. So um, that's what I really noticed. Uh, and then the last sort of portion I had on his passing was that. Um, in transition, I feel like he's much better as a read and react type passer. Um, when somebody comes up on him, he's able to react to that and, and pass to the open guy. Um, but I think that's also sort of where it's shown through for me, at least, um, that he takes the first open guy he sees and, and throws it ahead to them. So um, it's sort of a double edged sword there, but something. Uh, that I, I sort of picked up on as I watched more and more uh, Paolo throughout this week.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's fair. Um, the interior pass that you mentioned, um, I think there's certain areas of the floor he's like a really high-level passer, and in certain areas he's not. And I'm interested to see how that translates. Um, and, and I think we'll talk about that even a little more when we talk about potential positionality with Paolo. But I buy, you know, there's holes in it. Like, he's not a perfect can't miss prospect at the top, but like, um, I, I do buy that the scoring upside and the passing upside, like are going to mix to create a really potent offensive player down the line, um, who can, uh, potentially scale up and down. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about next is, uh, there's been some concerns that maybe he doesn't scale very well, that, that he's someone who is going to take a lot of usage and not be able to either is not good enough to take a lot of usage and help win or can't scale down and and, and play with smaller player or, or other high usage players. Um, I just wanted to get your guys' take on that because I think that's one of the more interesting questions with, with Paolo is what is his interesting, his NBA role, like how much can he really handle? So Coop, I'll throw that to you
2: first. So I think specifically with his scalability, you know, a lot of that comes down to uh, people being a bit too obsessed with comps and seeing the, the Julius Randle comp that gets thrown around, or all these other. I've seen a Carmelo Anthony comp for, this, for him. And it's like he's a very fundamentally different player than a lot of these guys. Uh, like he has sort of a similar body, but his game is very different. Um, I think his particular skill set leads to scalability. Um, I think the fact that he can create his own jumper. Uh, you know, and that he has a lot of potential to really do that at a high level means that he might not have to be super scalable because if he's 6'10 and creating pull-up jumpers at, you know, at an efficient rate all over the floor, then he doesn't need to scale back and he's the center point of your offense. And then the passing, you know, allows him to almost be an offense onto himself. But the elite play finishing and, you know, being able to, basically abuse teams for messing up uh, a pick and roll defense or a help defense at all. And being able to pop and roll and, you know, just be a perfect pick and roll partner or even run some pick and roll, like just all the different stuff he can do on the offensive end uh, makes it really hard to see how he's not successful at some level in the NBA. Uh, Because even if he's just a play finisher, who's, you know, making assisted shots, uh, at the rim or from the perimeter, he's still really, really good at that. And that has a lot of value, like a high level play finisher who can do it at the rim and from the perimeter is really rare. There aren't really players like that. And he'll have some shot creation, like from the mid range. I think that's going to translate to some degree. Uh, and I just, I don't see a way unless he like refuses to that he doesn't scale up or down with different lineups, um, you know, with different players, especially on the offensive end. I think he's just, he's, he's a really good fit and a better fit than I thought uh, he would be before walking all these, all these, all this film.
0: Yeah. I think um, I like that you bring up him as a role, man. That's a role I'm interested in with him because uh, he's definitely not the traditional, like, really good role man. Because, like, I don't think he's going to be catching a ton of lobs. Uh, he's a good athlete, but he's kind of a flat-footed leaper. Um, like, he doesn't just – like, he can get off quick, but he doesn't get up super high. Um, I just don't think, like, he you – know, he, he's just not that type of athlete. Like, he's a good athlete, but it's I, – I think his athleticism is mostly downhill as a driver and not as, like, a – uh, you know, vertical threat. But I think he can still be a really good role man with his touch, with his ability to carve out space with his size. And I, you know, like Coop said, I, I buy the short roll passing uh, long-term. So I, I think he could be a really good role man. Um, I, think the, I think the ISO scoring stuff is there. I think he's a meaningfully better passer than either Randall or Carmelo Anthony were at the same age. Like, Like, noticeably, noticeably, and passing does a lot to help your fit with other players. I think even more so than shooting. I w- We talk about scalability a lot. And one of the things we talk, people talk about all the time is like, oh, you gotta be able to space the floor. And I think that's true. I think, I think that matters. You know, I'm not one of those people who thinks that, uh, you know, just if you just have a team full of non-shooters, they can make it work if they can all pass and play defense or, or whatever. But passing really helps your scalability. If you're just, Willing to move the ball, able to do it, able to, you know, if if you're the one who has the drive on an advantage, make the right decision with it, because I think that's what kills a lot of seemingly good scalable players is that when they, you know, have the advantage they're not always it's always for them to score you know so they're always play finishers I think that was sort of like young Harrison Barnes had that issue he's one guy that really stands out to me he's sort of fixed in these past two seasons with the Kings but like he could be a part of that awesome Warriors offense and and they could create advantages and and all that and if he was the one like if he was the recipient of the advantage he was only ever going to score or miss the shot and and or turn it over or whatever. He was never like, well, I have a step now because there was a bad closeout. So I'm going to take two dribbles and I'm going to make the easy pass to a three-point shooter or to a diving big, whatever it is. I think Paolo can do that. I think he can really sort of scale, um, scale up and down. Um, not Maybe not as scalable as some because I think he is going to require a certain amount of usage to be, um, you know, worthwhile at any pick in the draft. But with his scoring package, his passing, um, I, I think he can he can really fit in uh, with on, on good NBA teams and he can also, I think he out of anyone in this class, in my opinion that I've that I've watched so far, um, is the player most likely to be able to like carry a giant offensive load on a really good team. Like like, uh, you know, 30% usage type guy on a top three top four seed. So I'm pretty comfortable projecting that. Um, Stone how do you feel about Paolo's uh, sort of scalability?
1: I think most people know I'm usually not one for comps and this obviously isn't like a one-for-one one sort of deal but in terms of the scalability aspect of it I think maybe Siakam is, is sort of a fair comparison uh, somebody that I think um, is really capable of playing as we saw alongside like a superstar but also um, can be a, the leader of a team and, and can really Um, sort of excel in high usage roles as the sort of number one option at times. So um, I think Paolo sort of projects somewhere along those lines. um, Somebody that, especially if you're drafting him in the top three, I think a lot of teams are going to project him as sort of their number one option on on teams, especially these these bad teams picking up high. So um, I think he's capable of it. Uh, I'm not sure how well it's going to pan out super early on uh, but I think down the line um, cleaning up sort of the things that uh, we were talking about that um, you know can lead to being a better decision maker and a, a faster processor I think he, he's he got all the tools and capabilities of being that sort of number one option uh, on a winning team so um, yeah that's sort of a bet I'd be willing to make
0: yeah sweet um, I think the last big thing I want to hit on is um, just sort of where are we at with his, uh, position? I think, I, I think this is a more nuanced question than is maybe sometimes given credit for, um, uh, it's, it's tough for me to, to really determine because I think it's definitely like positions in the NBA are more of a sliding scale than we tend to give credit for. I mean, the Cavs have played fucking Laurie Markinen at the three for a lot of this year and been a successful NBA team like I thought it was way more likely that he'd be a five and only a five than ever be able to play a minute at the three in the NBA. But, you know, here we are. Um, And that's not necessarily the greatest example, but I think uh, there's always a sliding scale positionality based on what your team needs. Cause at a certain point, the NBA is about getting your five best players on the floor and making and getting a coach to make that work. Um, But I think that uh, Paolo to me, Is more of a five than we're maybe talking about him as he's definitely like a four or five and I think he can succeed in either role but at least for me I buy the defensive instincts the the size and what skill set he has specifically offensively as a five just as much or even more than I buy it as a four Um, I don't think whatever position he is limits him either way but I think that um i see long term there being a lot of utility on good teams with him being the five being able to space the floor and and uh pass at a high level and also protect the rim enough have some moments of, of you know switchability even though i wouldn't ever say switch on the guards but you know he can he can be a little bit coverage versatile um i think there's a lot more upside with him as a
2: five than i think some others do um
0: cooper are you with me here
2: So especially uh, defensively, I think he's probably best utilized as a five. Uh, He's like Chuck's favorite, uh, our friend Chuck and Darts, his favorite thing, the the guy who can start at the four and then close out the game at the five to supercharge the offense and not completely ruin the defense. Um, He's got really good hands defensively that allow him to like sort of play the four where he almost played the nail at times for Duke. Uh, you know, he, I don't really know what they're like. They play a lot of different coverages. Uh, so the off ball D it's kind of hard to tell, is he playing in the scheme or is he like fucking up? But I think he's pretty solid defensively off the ball. He's not like elite or anything, but um he's not, he's also, I don't think he's good. He's definitely not going to be like a traditional rim protecting five at all. You don't play him there and then expect him to play in a drop. Um, because he just doesn't have that kind of vertical athleticism in a back pedal uh, and he can tend to over gamble or he, he's able to draw charges or put his body in the way at least and stay vertical for the most part. Um, but he can also, you know, predetermine a bit uh, where he decides he's going to go in for the block and then he gets thrown out of his shoes a little bit. Uh, I think, it's a lot of little stuff that messes up uh, like him really being able to play the five full time. But if he can clean that up, there's a pretty easy path to him being a, a positive on that end. Uh, if he's not already there. Uh, and I think he's going to, you're probably going to want to play him at the level defensively. Like you were saying, he can slide his feet. He's not really a switch big, but I think that he's able to slide with smalls to a pretty good degree, especially like smaller fours, uh, some bigger threes that aren't guards that are disguised as threes. I think he can slide with. I mean, you're not going to play him in a, a one through five switch scheme, but those aren't really a thing unless you're the Warriors or you know the the old Rockets. Uh, and I think you are able to get a little bit of scheme versatility out of him, and that is really able to optimize the offense. Uh, you know, supercharge the offense with him at the five, or play him next to a five to start the game. You know. It, just the options that you have there and give him a lot of value on that end, even if he's not like a superstar on the defensive end
0: yeah i I think I'm with you uh stone do you have a uh any any thoughts on his defensive position uh
1: yeah i i think i'm in agreement with you where he's best utilized probably as a five defensively um I don't think he's the greatest rim protector or rim deterrent um but I think it's probably best for him in terms of uh, being able to effectively stay with his man, uh, especially off ball is, is more the main concern uh, for me. I think there's a lot of times he uh, will get stuck um, ball watching both offensively and but more so defensively um, off ball and he can get caught in no man's land when he's switching a lot of the time. Um, so I think it's just best to sort of put him in a scenarios where that's not going to happen very often. Um, and I think playing the five is probably best for that. Um, so that's, that's probably where I would have him. I think, uh, like I said, he he's strong enough to where I think he can be someone that um, can take a lot of contact near the rim. I'm not sure, you know, if he's going to ever be like a, a great rim protector or anything, but I think he can be, good enough sort of in that role especially when he's um, you know really focused and in, in mid on that specific area uh, of the the floor that he's supposed to be defending so um, I think that's probably the best way to utilize him defensively and uh, for that reason I would I would put him as a five.
0: Yeah um, I think that's sort of like all the main things I wanted to hit on um, with Paolo. Uh, I have some like sort of other uh, miscellaneous thoughts. Um, his synergy page was really interesting. One stat uh, that stands out a lot to me. Let me see if I can find it. Um, oh, so the guarded versus unguarded catch and shoots. Uh, guarded, he's in the 25th percentile. And unguarded, he's in the 77th percentile. Um, all jump shots off the dribble, 55th percentile. For a 6'10 dude, that's pretty good. Um, and then shots 17 feet to the three-point line. 96th percentile um that's that's pretty impressive uh that's all in the half court uh i think some of the issue with the guarded versus unguarded thing i think maybe the shot's just a little low it's kind of like right in front of his face um you know like he kind of puts the ball right up to his nose basically and he shoots it like i I don't think the motion has any problems other than the fact that it's just kind of right there Uh, and if that if that's all it is, I mean, you'll either you'll live with that or or it's a fix that's easy enough to make to get someone to sort of raise their jump shot like a little bit above their forehead. It's it's not the hardest thing in the world. Um, but I think those numbers still make me feel like he's gonna he'll be fine as a shooter. Um and then uh one other thing that I actually really like his his how he reads the floor when he doesn't have the ball. Um as a cutter, as sort of filling space um, around the three-point line. Uh, And then also on defense too, Duke is really weird because like they don't have any help principles. Like their defensive scheme is if you get beat, trust that Mark Williams is back there. Uh, That's basically the whole thing, or or Theo John, I guess. Like that's what I got. I, I don't know if you guys saw things differently than me, but like that's what I got watching Duke defense was that, I don't like when Paolo is playing the five, like he looks active, he's helping, he's, he's where he needs to be. And when he's playing the four, it's almost like he's sort of letting Jeremy Roach get beat off the dribble 100 times a game. So Mark Williams can rack up blocks or because Mark Williams is there. I shouldn't say it like that, but like, like because Mark Williams is there, like that's how, you know, Duke's defense works. They're built around. It's kind of like the Utah Jazz. They're built around having a rim protector and they don't really run help defense other than that. Um, so some, I, I had some issues with, um, uh, Paolo sort of not helping when he should, like, especially if a smaller guy is getting posted up or, you know, like someone spins like where he could be right there, but he's just not, I think some of it might just be Duke. Like, I feel like Duke doesn't just doesn't help a ton. And I I could be wrong, but, uh, that's sort of just one thing I wanted to point out, but I, I like how he was more active when he's playing the five. And that gives me hope that it's maybe just a Duke issue because no one on Duke plays active, good help defense. Um, So uh,
2: I I don't know if you guys saw that.
0: Um, Do you guys have any other notes on Paolo before we
2: move on? I got a few uh, just going more into that, a little bit more into that small ball five offensive thing. Uh, He's kind of like just an absolute mismatch murderer. Uh, And it's a lot easier to just completely destroy mismatches from the five uh, specifically during the Gonzaga game, he, they would spend a lot of time trying to get him switched onto drew Timmy. So he could get an easy, basically open pull-up jumper. Uh, and then he also, they, whenever he does get posted up on a small, he does really well. He can pass out of it or get the easy bucket, a best optimized at the five, you know, not every five is going to be drew Timmy, especially in the NBA, but I know he's going to drop 40 on Christian wood one day. And that's good enough for me.
0: Any, any, uh, do you have any other thoughts, Tom? Uh,
1: no, I think I pretty much said everything I I uh, had hoped on, on Paolo.
0: Sweet. Yeah, um, we'll sort of wrap him up a little more, too, when we uh, wrap the whole pod up. Uh, but let's move on to his teammate, um, another guy who uh, had some interesting expectations coming into the year um, and has been a really – fun player to watch sort of come on come out of I don't want to say come out of his shell but uh started the season slow and then it's really just got better game after game and that's Adrian Griffin Jr. um Adrian Griffin Jr. when he was 16 was one of the best uh 16 year old scores scoring wings we've ever seen um and he still flashes a lot of that there's still a lot of upside with uh AGJ um Stone do you just want to give us sort of the basic sell on Griffin Jr. and, and just sort of, um, what, what makes him a potential top five prospect in this draft?
1: Yeah. Um, Griffin is just, I think sort of the ultimate sort of off ball guard wing that you would ideally want on a, like a winning team. Um, it's very difficult to find, you know, a lot of major holes to poke within his game. Uh, really solid shooter, um, has, uh good enough handles to be a a pretty creative slasher somebody that is uber athletic can score at pretty much all three levels um underrated passer really strong decision maker there's just not a lot there to really say this is why i could see griffin really like not making it in the nba Um, you know we could get into what may hold him back from being elite or anything like that but i think um, all in all, it's just very difficult to to point towards any one thing that, that holds him back from being like any sort of bust or anything uh, once he gets to the next level.
0: Yeah. Um, so just just some baseline stats with Adrian Griffin Jr. Um, only 9.9 points per game, but it's important to remember that he's on a pretty stacked Duke team. I mean, uh, Wendell Moore, Paolo Bancaro, Mark Williams is going to score some. Jeremy Roach plays more with the ball in his hands than he probably should. Uh, Trevor Keels is on that team as well, who was healthy to start the year. So um, I don't read too much into only 9.9 points per game, especially when you consider he's shooting 48.5% from three on almost four attempts a game Uh, for a six, 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 seven wing. uh, You know, he's 225 pounds too. Like this is not, uh, you know, some skinny unathletic white kid we're talking about like 48.5% from three on four attempts is pretty nutty. Um, he's also shooting 50.5 percent from the field uh, for what amounts to a 63.8 percent true shooting percentage Um, has some fun defensive statistics 2.1 block percentage um, has a solid assist to turnover ratio like just a really like good all around uh, right now a complimentary player but uh, I think there's some real upside there Um, Coop what are your sort of general thoughts with with Adrian jr
2: oh I don't want to I don't want to I can just rehash what y'all have said, but my, I, he is just a, one of the most incredible uh, offensive and defensive rebounders uh, for a guy his size who's not like Zion. Uh, specifically, like starting from the perimeter and going in to grab putbacks or offensive boards, he's just really smart. Uh, he's able to slide around guys pretty well, just super functional athleticism. Uh, you know, has the the great shot making, the, been able to burst his way more into the paint recently, you know, as the athleticism come back from the injury. Uh, he's just like Stone said, uh, I don't really see a way he doesn't make it in the NBA, especially as he's like the second youngest player in the class. Uh, just with the incredible skill set he has.
0: Uh, yeah, so let's let's dive into it uh, with some more specifics then. Um, I think the first thing you have to talk about with Adrian Griffith Jr. is just the shooting. Um, and it's not like these are just spot ups. Uh, he is probably the best shooter in this draft. Um, I would say maybe even comfortably. Uh, as a, to the amateur ranks, including UABL in high school, there's been stats that he shot over 40% um, for his four years in high school. Uh, that's pretty insane. You don't see that much. Um, for high school players because you know generally high school offenses don't run like that it's a lot more contested shots all all that type of stuff like he he if he's really shooting at that level like that is impressive um and it's translated to Duke uh he hits some every single time he shoots it feels like it's going to go in especially if he's wide open but uh he's really comfortable with this sort of right to left step back and sidestep um where He's just, he gets into it no problem. Uh, he can do little snatch dribble pull-ups. Um, he's comfortable shooting in the mid-range too, you know, taking a couple dribbles in and, and just getting into his pull-up. The, the footwork is excellent. Um, his touch is insane. Like, I, I, I'm I willing to say that, like just fully incredible. As a finisher, it shows up. It shows up as a passer a lot too. He has really, really nice touch on a lot of his passes. Even when he gets himself in bad situations, He's really good at passing out of them because his touch on his passes is so good. Um, the form almost looks weird because his base is so wide. It's kind of become a meme, but uh, it works for him. And he can also shoot it with a less wide base. Like he has moments where he's shooting pull-ups or step backs where the base does shrink and he's still hitting shots. So I'm not worried that like it's going to limit his shooting versatility or something like that zero worries about that i think the form translates just fine um you know good energy transfer and a high release point like he's going to be a i think day one in the nba an elite shooter and there's a chance that he becomes one of the best all-around shooters of his size that maybe we've ever seen i know that's like that's like bold to say but um you know you think of guys that are this tall six seven who are comfortably taking sidesteps, step backs, pull-ups. Like, they have it all in their bag by the time they're 18. It's it's a pretty rare list. Um, You know, like, he's a better shooter at Duke than, like, Jason Tatum was. You know, and that's not saying he's going to be what Jason Tatum is as a shooter, but, you know, we think of Jason Tatum as one of the best shooters of his size ever, and they're similar heights. Jason Tatum is probably an inch or two taller, but uh, just – Really impressive shooting. Uh, do you guys have anything to add to that, or is does that kind of say it all?
2: Yeah, he uh, he generates a ridiculous on his uh his no dribble spot ups, uh, nearly one point five points per possession uh, off, off his no dribble spot up jumpers, uh, and that's completely absurd. Like, what some of the like the most efficient offenses right now are like one point two points per possession. Uh, not many, there's not many plays in basketball history that generate 1.5 uh, points per possession. And he he's just ridiculous. So, I mean, as you said, I mean, I, you don't, you never want to be like, Hey, is this guy going to be the greatest shooter of his size ever? But uh, if there's anybody you can be like, could this guy maybe become one of the greatest six, seven, six, eight shooters ever? Uh, it's AJ Griffin because he's apparently just the most efficient player ever to grace planet Earth.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if we're if we want to add some more color here, um, guarded catch and shoots ninety six percentile, uh, unguarded catch and shoots ninety third percentile, overall ninety eighth percentile, uh, all jump shots off the dribble ninety first percentile, uh, three point jump shots ninety eighth percentile, um, excellent just pull up shooter driving left or right um he's like a super like elite driver driving with his left hand which is always interesting um for a right-handed player mm-hmm. but yeah just like um it, the the shooting is is flat out insane just not something you see very often um and you combine that with what i consider to be an interesting all-around scoring package um he started to really just get to the rim all the time whenever he wants. Uh, I think he's a really good finisher. He's a bit stiff. Like I wouldn't call him the most flexible person ever. Right. Like, you know, on, on the scale of Ennis Cantor to, I don't know, who's the most flexible player we can think of. Me, I, I'm
2: the most flexible player.
0: <laughs> okay. He's definitely closer to Ennis Cantor than Cooper, but, um, but uh, you know, he's, I, I, I think he can still like, he's so strong. And his touch is so electric. Like he hits some shots that he has no right hitting around the rim. Like there's this there's this one against um, UNC I think where he got bodied by Armando uh, Armando Bacot or Bacot I can't remember how to say it properly. But you know he put a shoulder into his chest and he lost that battle of strength. But it didn't matter. He just kind of threw up some like hook thing over his right shoulder or over his left shoulder. I mean with his right hand off the backboard and in, no problem. He's definitely more comfortable with his right hand than his left hand, but I think he can shoot both hands. Um, Just an excellent, excellent athlete um, when it comes to uh, getting downhill scoring. Um, I just, like his scoring package as a whole is just really interesting for a guy of his size. I I kind of, um, I I struggle to even think of someone with a similar package to that. Uh, What do you guys think of his, um, his, his overall scoring. Uh, Stone, I'll go to you first.
1: Um. Yeah, I think he has just become very comfortable as a scorer, uh, as the season has progressed. Um, and honestly, I think there's more he's can do that he's limited because of the Duke context that he's in. I think once he gets to the NBA, he's going to show a lot more on-ball creativity that he's not able to show as often um, as he maybe would be able to um, because of the context that he's currently in. Um, Really good finisher. He's so strong. um, So absorbing contact near the rim is not really an issue for him at this point in time. Um, Really explosive. Uh, Somebody, I think, uh, the weirdest part about him is the movement for me. Like he just moves so Um, herky-jerky, I guess, is sort of the best way to put it, Um, both on and off ball. Like, he's uh, got some of the most impressive, but also weird sort of movements. Um, Always somebody that is active off ball, too, so he's going to keep defenses on their toes constantly. Um, Yeah, I think he's just He's kind of a can't-miss guy, I think, offensively as a prospect. Um, Somebody that's just a really sound decision-maker. Very rarely sort of plays outside of what he's capable of. Um, And like I said, what he's capable of is sort of a three-level scorer who can uh, make pretty um, sound outlet passes, uh, especially off of driving kicks and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just very difficult for me to see um like any real major hole offensively as to why uh, he wouldn't succeed
2: yeah his driving has really improved as his athleticism has come back to start the year you know i'm watching those some of the first games where he's playing more than like five minutes a night uh and every drive he's getting walled off by somebody who theoretically has no business walling him off Uh, who's like half the functional athlete he is Uh, and then you get to the as the games go on, he's getting around more and more guys. He's finally able to start turning the corner, uh, you know, especially like around like the last couple of games, he has just been getting right to the rim like infinitely more often than he was to start the year. And it's just been really impressive to see. I mean, I know a lot of it's like getting his athleticism back and, but it's still really impressive to see him like just improve so much in season. And uh, see that come in and the driving has just been so, so impressive for the last few weeks.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I want to transition that to how we feel his offense can, can develop outside of scoring. Um, and obviously that mostly means passing, uh, but it also means sort of like how he exists off the ball. I think his off ball play is really impressive. He and Paolo both are like, um, they're these high volume or potentially high volume on ball scorers who I think present a lot of intrigue as off-ball players, too. Like um, Adrian Vitrini is a borderline elite cutter. Um, He is great at just seeing where the pass is going to come to. Like For a lot of guys who shoot 48% from three, if they're open on the perimeter, they're going to want to stand there. But even when he's open, sometimes he'll see the hole he needs to hit to actually make the pass possible, and he'll hit it. There was a big example of that against um Notre Dame I think where Jeremy Roach drove baseline and he was wide open on the wing Adrian Griffin Jr was but instead of standing up there waiting for Roach to make a pass that that was never going to get there he cut to an open space in the middle of the floor and he almost had a dunk he ended up getting fouled shooting two free throws but um his cutting is really good and I think he has moments as a passer uh I mentioned up top that the touch on his passes are really nice um he gets himself in bad situations a little more than I would like, but it says something that he gets in a bad situation and still only has a turnover percentage of 8.7. Like, I, I think he's really good at passing out of those. Um, he's, he's not a, an elite passer by any means, but he makes the obvious reads really well and he's really unselfish with it. Like he he's comfortable just like moving the ball where it needs to go. Um, so I, I think there's some potential upside where, he can maybe play as a high usage guy as a scorer, but not hurt your offense because he can do so much without the ball and as a passer. Um, where, where are you guys at with his, with his ancillary offensive skills?
1: I think the, uh, the biggest thing for me is sort of what he does off ball. Um, he's just such a fantastic mover and space filler. Um, he's somebody that like, if you watch just uh, AJ Griffin for an entire game, you're going to be very hard pressed to find like any stretch of five or more seconds where he's just standing and not really like looking where the ball is and, and ready to react in, uh, in an instant. Um, he's just constantly, uh, very active and engaged in the offense, even when he doesn't have the ball, which I think is something that gets overlooked at times. Um, and I think that he, he's a very smart cutter. He's, uh, makes very timely cuts. Um, He knows, like, sort of exactly when to start going towards the rim once the shot goes up. Um, There's just really, like, all the anticipatory things and um, sort of just the, I guess, feel for the game um, from an off-ball standpoint is just something that really stood out to me. So um, I think that's sort of the biggest thing in terms of his, uh, what impresses me outside of the scoring aspect of it. Um, Passing-wise, I think he's totally fine. I don't think he's a very complex passer, but I think he's somebody that can make the right read like 99% of the time. Um, Somebody that I think will keep the ball moving. It's not going to really stick with him very much. Um, The handle is something that I think is sort of a mixed bag for me. Um, He's got really great footwork. He gets very low. like when you, watch him, when you watch him handle the ball, um, his butt comes out like a foot and he's he's super low to the ground. Um, it's just not like a super tight or advanced handle. He's not going to have like a ton of like dribble combo moves that's going to get him towards the rim. Um, but as long as he gets sort of that half step, he's able to use his strength to create space a lot of the time. So it's not a huge concern for me. Um, Yeah, I'm just I'm pretty much like one of those people that's all in on on Griffin at this point in time. So uh, there's not a lot that I dislike about his offensive game.
2: Yeah. One of my favorite skills in the entire draft is Adrian Griffin Jr.'s uh, offensive rebounding. And uh, like like I talked about when I when I at the very beginning of this, it's he's just so impressive. Like Stone said, he's constantly moving. He's never not moving unless he is absolutely dead wide open. And even then, like Bryce said, he's cutting it into space to get even more wide open to where the uh, admittedly poor passing guards, uh, you know, can can finally give him the ball. There's like four or five plays a game where Jeremy Roach has the opportunity to throw it to a wide open Adrian Griffin Jr. at the three point line, and he just misses it. Uh, it sucks, but You know, he, you know, he takes advantage of it. He cuts, he does his best, Uh, but he just, he gets up so high on his, his rebounds. He does the thing where he wraps the ball up uh, whenever possible to make sure he doesn't get stripped. Uh, He's really quick twitch uh, on the offensive end. Um, And he's just constantly in rebounding position. And it doesn't matter if he's getting completely boxed out to hell by the two biggest guys on the floor; he's still fighting for the rebound. Uh, it's just so, 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 so impressive. Uh, and I think that is a big part of what's going to add value at the next level as an off-ball player.
0: He's just so effective as like just an all-around off-ball player. You know, last year uh, before he withdrew, um, we had talked about Benedict Matherin. And I had mentioned that I was like, with his mix of athleticism and uh, shooting, he is a potentially devastating off-ball player, and that can provide almost as much value as your sort of really good on-ball players. But Adrian River Jr. is like, like the extreme version of that, where it's like he is solidly better than Matherin as both an athlete and a shooter. I think, um, and he is a better cutter. Um, and and it's just he he could be a potentially absolutely devastating game breaking off ball player who uh just takes so much attention from a defense that it opens up so much even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and that's worth so much uh for for a lot of nba teams um especially ones with uh you know maybe flawed creators uh he he makes a lot of sense next to you know say like a demonis Sabonis type guy like that like um, in any, any type of flawed creator like Adrian Griffith Jr. Would make their life easier because the defense couldn't uh step up to prevent the weaknesses of, of that sort of flawed creator. Um, I think also that, uh, you know, Stone, you mentioned his handle. I think that's something I want to hit on really fast. Uh, we did talk about it a ton with Paolo. Um, Paolo ha- is has sort of a weird handle. I tweeted about it where like the footwork is perfect, but the handle itself is really loose. I think Paolo might have like small hands or, um, something like that, maybe bad hand-eye coordination. I honestly don't know, but Paolo fumbles the ball a lot when he dribbles. Adrian Griffin Jr. doesn't do that, but Griffin Jr. is really stiff, I think, as a ball handler. Uh, He doesn't get super low. He doesn't really shift defenders a ton. He relies a lot on, you know, sort of one-two move, and then you either he's going to step back and shoot a shot that, that honestly has a really good chance of going in, or you're going to sell out to stop that step back and uh, he's going to get a drive going off that, or he has to get a screen. Um, and all those are fine. Like, like that doesn't necessarily limit his upside too much, but I think it is notable because I don't think he's someone who you could just like get the ball to and have create all the time, every time down the floor or anything like that. Like I, I don't think he has that in him, even if the passing gets to that level, it's just, I, the, the handle has a few limitations that I think are just gonna make it really hard. Um, He just doesn't create a ton of um, shift in the defense outside of maybe just a straight line drive or that sort of um, east west space creation with the step backs and the sidesteps and such. Um, Or maybe I should say, actually, it's more like he has really good north south separation type thing because he can get downhill with burst or he can step back, but he doesn't actually have a ton of you know, East West space creation because the handle just doesn't shift defenders that much. Um, are you, are you guys with me there or, or uh, are you seeing different things?
2: I'm definitely there with you. Um, you can tell that he's not like creating, uh, you know, a ton of space East West with like his step backs or his side steps. It's more about throw the defender into the air and then get out of the way while they're not like, they're not like faked out of their shoes in the traditional sense uh it's more about like the pump fake that gets them out of the way not the move itself uh if that makes sense so if it's more that kind of thing it's more fakes and craft than actual shift
1: yeah i would agree with that i think he's very much so more somebody that takes sort of advantageous angles and gaps that get him where he wants to be rather than reliant upon the tightness of his handle uh and, and dribble combo moves and things like that so um and, and strength as well so but uh sort of to Bryce's point I think um that in a way makes him a bit more attractive as just some guy that uh, can play off the ball and be sort of a um either a complimentary guy or he or like a number one option at times He's just very scalable I think uh somebody that projects to be someone that can take over for stretches uh but I think you're totally fine letting him play off ball because of how active he is in that regard um and being somebody that you know takes a little bit of a lesser role uh if he's playing next to like some sort of superstar so uh yeah I'm I'm all in on AJ Griffin man I can I can go on and on all night about (laughs) why I like him
0: well, let's, let's go a little bit more. Cause there's just one last thing I want to hit on. Um, and that's the defense. Um, I I've sort of had my up and downs with his defense. Um, again, the Duke context for me is tough to evaluate him as a help defender. He definitely has moments. I think he specifically like uh, when, when shading against ball handle. So when he's guarding like a good shooter or a good off ball player, like he's good at making the passes really difficult. Like, um, and that's something that is sneakily valu- valuable. Um, but when he's guarding on the ball, that stiffness shows up again. I just don't think he's very laterally quick. Um, he can't really get through any screens. Uh, which is fine. We're, it's pretty rare that a six-seven dude can get through screens, so it's not like like the end of the world or anything. But um, he can't really get through screens, and he can't be taken advantage of quite a bit. Like if he's guarding a quicker, smaller player, um, but his size helps make up for that. Like his strength. I mean, like um, he can just sort of bump guys off their drive, even if they beat him a little bit. If he can just sort of get his chest into them, it's going to make it hard for them to keep balance and really finish. Um, but uh, you know, sort of of time strength uh, isn't always the advantage it is in college when they get to the pros. Uh, I think Adrian Griffin will still be stronger than most of the guys he's guarding. But um, I, I think his defense leaves some to the imagination, some to be desired. But what I like is with his size, and, and then Coop mentioned it too, his defensive rebounding is really good. Um, I think that if he could play the four in some configurations, you know, the three and the four type, if that's his role. Uh, I think that's really interesting for him because I think he can be a really good forward defender. You know, a lot of the best fours in the NBA play a lot off the ball. Um, and like I mentioned, he's good at guarding good off ball players. Um, he, I think he can make some help side rim rotations. Again, that's not something we've seen, but he's a pretty good vertical athlete. I think he has long arms too. I haven't seen an official wingspan measurement, but um, he can get up. Uh, he doesn't need a ton to load. I think he can make some help side rim protection uh, plays, even though he doesn't do that a ton with Duke because they just let Mark Williams be the only guy protecting the rim. Um, And I think, I don't know, like I think him as a four defensively is really interesting, but if he has to guard a lot of threes or especially if he has to guard any
2: twos, that's where I get pretty worried. Um, Where are you guys at with, with his defense in general? I worry about him at the, at the point of attack. A lot of his screen navigation has been kind of goofy. Uh, his footwork isn't the best on it, and he can get like he, he can get blown by a little bit there. He's able to recover and use his body, like you said, but uh, the screen navigation specifically at the point of attack is uh, like against smaller guards is, is scary. Um, I have liked what I've seen from the wi- the weak side rim rotations. Uh, I think it's been mostly positive on that end. I really think he could play the four uh, in stretches because of all the stuff that you're talking about. Uh, and he's really, like, he's good at keeping the ball in front of him when the guy isn't, is, like, around his sides. It's once he's, like, stuck at the two or against smaller threes that it gets uh, uh, kind of iffy. And even then, he's a, he has functional length. He's able to use it to at least bother or poke the ball free or contest. And he's pretty good at not fouling. And uh, there's one clip I posted uh, on my timeline that's like he didn't actually like nothing really counted except for the offensive rebound. But he the he's chasing down a small guard in transition and he's got him by half a step. And he knows that if he's like attached to his hip, when he goes up, he's getting called for the foul. So he slows down by about a step. And then when the when he goes up, he goes up for the block and contests. And I think it was either Keels or Roach. If they weren't there, you know, right where, you know, being jumped into by the offensive player, then a foul isn't called and he at least gets the contest. Uh, so I I think he's really smart. And like Bryce saying, just a good offensive, like a good off ball uh, defender. And I think he can, he has a lot more versatility than it seems like people think he does on that end.
1: Yeah. I think for me, sort of it's inverted with him and Paolo, where I prefer Paolo more as an on ball defender. And then I think I prefer AJ Griffin as more of an off ball defender. Um, He. On ball, like Cooper was saying, I think there's tendencies where he can get beat, uh, especially because of screen navigation, um, and, but he's so light on his feet. He's so quick to be able to change his pace and direction that I think um, you know it's not hard to see that he could be like a totally fine point of attack guy at the next level. Um, he flips his hips fairly well. Uh, he's somebody that I think uh, is just a really solid decision maker. Um, And that really shines defensively, I think. Off ball, he's like a really fantastic help defender. I think I would be willing to bet a good percentage, a very large percentage of times that he does um, defend as a help defender that it's very impactful uh, and it's not sort of just the Paolo sort of step in and and put your hand in here and there. Uh, With with Griffin, I think it's a lot more – with purpose and intent. Um, He's somebody that I think covers a lot of mistakes as well. Um, If somebody goes to help, he helps the help. Um, If he is able to uh, sort of get in the way and and seal off like a passing lane, he's able to do that. So I think he's very good at reading the game sort of away from the ball. Um, And then when he's on the ball, uh, there's some questions, but I think they're they're very fixable questions once he gets into the league because of the athleticism and the decision-making he's shown in another aspect.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, Just in general for a guy who shoots like this, and can score like this to be the decision maker that um, he is, it's just really, really rare. Um, And that's worth betting on long-term, I think. Um, Do we have any other uh, just general thoughts on, uh, AJ Griffin, just any other any other things you want to get off your chest
2: with him? Yeah. On that note, he is a really really great defensive scrambler. Uh, like when the defense has broken down and you know the ball's being thrown around the perimeter, he is has really good reaction time and gets right to where he needs to be within the scramble to sort of blow up the the easy bucket for the offense. Uh, I was really really impressed by that from aj
0: yeah um i think the last thing i want to mention uh, you can hear my paper crumpling um the last thing i want to mention is that uh he like i think there's some real upside as a passer that i feel like we maybe didn't even hit on enough because there are some reads he makes that i really like and the touch on his passes is really impressive uh specifically he hasn't doing a ton because like i mentioned duke has so many ball handlers that he's playing mostly off the ball but when he gets a chance to throw lobs, like they look really nice. Like he hits Mark Williams on lobs really well. Um, He, there's a, there's one he tried to throw to Apollo in the UNC game that didn't look very good. But other than that, like the lobs look good. Um, And then he's really good when he's in the air making passes. And that's not something I usually like, you know, I, I tend to say like, if you're going to jump to make a pass, you shouldn't be making that pass, but he kind of makes it work. He's, he's, he, you know, and Tyrese Halliburton are two guys who I've scouted during my time where I'm like, these guys make jump passes work. Um, And AJ Griffin, just like, he has a knack for pivoting when he, you know, like we mentioned how Paolo sometimes kind of predetermines what he's going to do. I don't think Griffin does that as much. I think Griffin is much more natural when it comes to just playing in the flow, playing with what he's doing, just kind of doing his thing. So Um, I I just think there's a lot, a lot of upside with Adrian Griffin Jr. Um, We, and then I'll also note real fast, we are not medical professionals. Uh, I do not know how bad his knees are. No idea. If I were to guess, probably not that bad. Um, If we were working in a front office and we got told the injuries are so bad, you should not draft him yay high. We take that into account. As of now, from an outside perspective, I don't want to do that. I want to evaluate him with the talent he has put out, how he has played, um, and and leave that type of stuff for the people who know better than us. I think we're all on the same page there. Uh, so when we rank A.J. Griffin, it's going to be assuming that he is cleared, he is healthy, um, and that he is going to make an impact in the NBA. So, um, you know, if you're dropping him for that, I – all I'll say is I hope I hope you have good uh, you have good medical sources because I think if you drop him too far because you're worried about the knees or you're worried he's just injury prone, uh, I think you're going to be missing out on a potentially special talent. Um, so let's get into uh, ranking these players. Um, we're gonna do this after every pod. Obviously, when it's only two, it's a little different. But I think this one specifically has uh, some interesting conversation. And then eventually, when we're doing at a certain point, we're going to get to a point where we're doing five guys a pod uh, that won't be this long, hopefully. Hopefully, we won't talk about all these guys this much. But, um, you know, the ranking part will be a little more interesting. But with just two guys, uh, I am interested to see where you guys are at with them. So, Stone, I'm going to throw it to you first. How would you rank Paolo and Adrian Griffin? Uh,
1: I feel like I'm going to be alone on this this time, but I'm going to go with AJ Griffin and then Paolo. Um, I just – I think AJ Griffin is is too special in too many areas, um, and I'm you know such a big fan of high field guys, and I feel like uh, Griffin is a little bit more of that. Um, so for this pod, I'm I'm going to go with AJ Griffin over Paolo.
2: Yeah, uh, Coop. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually torn because I I can't decide. i've been fighting it like this has been the top four have basically just been it's kind of top three but uh top four ish has kind of just been driving me nuts for the past month um well chronicled i've told you guys about my struggles but aj griffin just makes it even tougher um i think i'm just gonna stick to my guns and go Palo aj griffin for now, but I'm reserving the right to change my mind because I'm hedging my bets and I believe in bad radio.
0: So um, for me, this is incredibly close. I have these guys in the same tier. Um, they might end up as guys alone in my top tier, uh, not my top tier total, but the top tier for this class. Um, but right now I'm going to go Adrian Griffin Jr. then Paolo Banqueiro. Um, I think for me. It's tough. I think there's a little more on-ball upside with Paolo Bencaro. Um, There's a little more of that upper echelon star potential with Paolo. But if he's healthy, I see so many paths to Adrian Griffin Jr. being an all-star caliber player that it is hard for me to not have him at the top right now. He's just really, really good shooters of his size and athleticism are rare. And when you mix that with high feel, good touch on passes, good finishing, it's just, it all just combines to be, it's a tough call. It is. And I'm like kind of throwing it back and forth in my head right now um, because I do really like Palos. Uh, I, I think Palos a more versatile scorer. And I think his passing is a little better with a little more upside. Um, but I, I think, Right now, I'm gonna go Adrian Griffin Jr. then Paolo, and uh, just for fun, um, I completely wiped out my big board before we started this series. I took everything off of it, um, and I'm trying to go in completely uh, not blind because I I like having priors on these guys, but trying to really like think of these guys without thinking too much about rankings first, watching them, and then thinking about rankings after. So. Uh, Just to give you guys uh, where I'm at on my big board. I have tier one generational. That's where I had Kate Cunningham last year. Uh, Not every draft has that type of guy. Um, Tier two is something special. That's where I had Evan Mobley last year. He was probably too low. Probably should have had him in my tier one, but I didn't. I had him in tier two. Um, That's tier two is where uh, most, you know, sort of top prospects in a class go. That's where I had Zion and John Morant was in tier two. So just sort of a, a general idea of, of how I view guys. Uh, and right now I have both these guys in tier two, something special, uh, Adrian Griffin Jr., then Paolo Bancaro ranked like that. So um, that's where I'm at. Uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on sort of comparing these two?
2: I just really like, I think Palo, the potential to be both a rolling cut big and a shot creator and a pick-and-pop big. Uh, I think that was what ended up being the the, uh, the deciding factor on who I chose and why I went Palo first. Uh, I just think that having a player that can be both a play finisher and a play creator at 6'10", I think it's just a slight edge. Uh, as I said, I'm still allowed to change my mind because I'm sleazy like that, but uh, just giving you guys a little bit of insight into why I picked who I picked.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, I, again, this is a toss up for me. And I think if you're at the top of this draft, I'd be happy walking away with either. I think it's going to come down to, in some ways it's going to come down to being fit dependent for me. Um, I think certain teams would benefit more from Paolo, and certain benefit more from uh, Adrian Griffin jr. Um, but with that said, let's move into our final segment and that is uh, tail of the tape. Uh, everyone's favorite, everyone's favorite. Um, I'll let you go first because I, I like your guy a lot
2: so wh- why don't you take it away yeah we'll be going with the oh I'm the, uh, we'll be going in the with the red-headed uh, British man Cameron Hildreth uh, from Wake Forest uh, one of the weirdest uh, players in the country uh, he's somehow both uh, a walking stereotype and one of the weirdest players uh, I've ever seen he has a lot of energy on the defensive end. Uh, he slides his feet well. He's jumpy. He bothers ball handlers, uh, plays passing lanes pretty well. I've been pretty intrigued with what I've seen this season. All my priors were that uh, he's a goofy British guy who only shoots tough off the dribble jumpers. Uh, and, you know, the efficiency isn't great right now. Uh, the shot's not super falling. But, like, uh, in, the, in the first Duke game he played, he was basically a spark plug off the bench who came in, hit some tough uh, – some tough J's, some tough little inside shots. Uh, When he's able to get into the paint, he has some really crafty finishes that don't always go in, but you know, just the the rate he's able to get there uh, against guys who aren't like super tough. A point of attack defenders is pretty impressive. Uh, You know, he's just interesting. He's got a lot of energy and that's kind of the thing that I really liked. I'm going to sound like a, I'm getting back to my radio roots talking about how much I like the energy of a of a white guy, but a sneaky athlete too. So I, I really like Cam Hildreth. He's he's interesting. Yeah, I like Hildreth a lot too. I think um Wake Forest is actually like building something,
0: which is just weird. Um, but uh yeah, it's it's uh it's it's weird because I feel like like Wake Forest should not be good for like long stretches, but I, I don't know. I think they're going to get there. I don't think it's just a fluke with them getting transfers like LaRabia and Alanda As like, I think Cam Hildreth uh, and some other of the recruits they've brought in. I like, and um, they'll be interested to watch long-term uh, stone. Do you want to do your guy?
1: Yeah. Um, I'll take the, the other exciting Wake Forest guy um, that isn't a big name uh, that apparently Bryce didn't even know about. So yeah, um, I feel like I'm pretty smart right now. I'm going to go with Damari Monsanto. Um, somebody that, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys and, and say that I feel very confident that he's ever going to make the league. Um, but I think there's a chance. And I think he's a very fun watch. Um, just when he gets hot, he gets hot as a shooter. Um, one of those sort of microwave type guys. Uh, he's, gonna pass it maybe five percent of the time that he gets the ball um he's just constantly gonna chuck shots up but he's actually a really like pretty good shooter and a very um versatile shooter I would say um really smooth stroke he gets into his motion very quickly like he starts setting up before he has the ball which is something that uh I, I tend to keep an eye on with shooters um he has enough on ball equity to sort of create his own shot from the perimeter. Not somebody that's really going to drive too often, but uh from the perimeter can do a couple jabs, uh, do a quick behind the back sort of thing and, and get himself an open look. Um, he has some upside as a movement guy, um, not somebody that's completely stationary on all his shots. He's gonna be able to come off screens occasionally. Um Closeouts don't really affect him at all either as a shooter. Um, that's also something that I sort of value a lot for shooters and uh, so far not something that Monsanto has struggled with this season. Um, defensively, it's pretty much a mess. Uh, he's easily beat off the dribble as a point of attack type guy. Um, he over helps way too much um, off ball defensively. Um, so I would almost say that he's kind of a lost cause on that end um but if you're looking strictly for like a a shooter to come off the bench and get hot really quickly um Monsanto I think has the ability to possibly do that one day in the league uh
0: yeah I don't know much about Monsanto but I'm going to talk about some shooters too um and these are guys I watched uh I think all these guys are people we watched while we were doing our um deep dives on these prospects which is sort of the origin of Tale of the Tape, um, it's that it was supposed to be just guys that caught our eye while we were watching um, other players. Um, the first guy we talked about is Hunter Couture. Um, not sure he's a this year guy at all, uh, but I think he's someone who's going to get NBA looks down the line. Uh, 10 points per game playing at Virginia Tech. Uh, really good shooter at 44% from deep on almost six attempts. Doesn't do a lot else and he's hurt by only being 6'3", but he's comfortable off like a lot of movement. Uh, he hits pull ups. Um, Oh, Coop, I thought you were, like, gone. Oh, my God. I can't. <laughs> um, anyways, um, uh, like, he's just, like, a really, really impressive shooter in a lot of different ways. Um, and he has a track record of this. Uh, and then the thing that, to me, stands out with him above a lot of other shooters is that I think he's an all-right defender for his size. Um, specifically in the Duke game. Uh, He had some really impressive sort of digs and stunts at drivers and and in the post that I really, really liked. Uh, Didn't always result in steals, but he does average uh, one steal a game, which isn't a ton, but it's not bad. 1.97 steals percentage, which is lower than his last two seasons where it's been higher. Um, I think there's some defensive upside with him as sort of like a point guard sized defender who plays the two in your offense. Like, there's not a ton of space for that in the league, but if you can really shoot, like I think that's a potentially valuable type player. So Couture is someone I want to keep an eye on. And the other guy I want to talk about is Dane Goodwin from Notre Dame, who's another like elite shooter. He's a junior as well. So he'll probably stay one more year, uh, but he's a fourth year junior. He uh, is taking his COVID year by the looks of it. Um, he's shooting 46% from three right now. Uh, the difference between him and Couture is that Goodwin is six 6'6". Um, so definitely a little bit more positional size and he's also shooting 50% from the field. So he can finish a little bit. Like he has a little bit more offensive versatility than someone like Couture, who is, who is pretty much a pure movement shooter. Um, not a great passer. And then a, a much worse defender than Couture, like just slower, uh, doesn't play passing lanes at all. Doesn't, you know, create any havoc, but, uh, those are just two guys that stand out to me as like, Sometimes the league like just needs shooters, right? Like that's something we've talked about. You know, Duncan Robinson found a way, and obviously he's the extreme example in a, in a development system and a team that desperately needs his specific skill set. But still, there's paths for those types of guys uh, if you can really shoot. And for me, I'm always just looking for what are the avenues to that because there are plenty of awesome six two shooters in the world. But what else do you bring? So with Couture, it's, it's that potential, you know, defensive, uh, you know, interesting defense. Like he can survive out there. And with Goodwin, it's just his size, and then the, he's a really good cutter, finisher, mid-range shooter. Like uh, just that offensive versatility with Goodwin. So those are two guys who have caught my eye, who I'm interested in, uh, who I want, who I need to watch more of. But uh, they're guys I kind of like. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's about good. Uh, Coop, do you want to do you want to give us the outro?
2: Yeah, thank you everyone for coming in, for dropping by, uh, for listening to us talk forever about two guys. Uh, this is, you know, if you want to really know the the ins and outs of these guys and what, what we think, then, you know, thanks for sticking around. But uh, if you made it this far, congratulations. Uh, you win the imaginary medal of having a, a warm place in my heart. Uh, you can follow us all on Twitter. Uh, Stone is at report underscore court. Bryce is Bryce Hendricks 14. I'm at Allie underscore OOP underscore Coop. Follow the pod at Upside Swings. You can follow us on TikTok where with uh, the podcast drop, we're going to be doing a lot more player breakdowns just with, you know, clips from the pod, you know, maybe some other more fun stuff dropping. Uh, Had some ideas floating around. Just been in the grind recently. yeah you can you know follow everyone's work bryce is writing for Koop center i am bullshitting and pretending that i'm doing work and stone is usually doing something uh you know just like all of our tweets and just be fanatical uh we love all of y'all so much thanks for listening to this um and have a good day y'all yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, you know, give us all those follows and all that, and uh, let's have a let's have a fun time. Uh, expect more of these. We're going to be dropping about two a week. Um, so uh, not always as in depth in this. Probably the next couple are going to be as in depth in this. Um, look forward to uh, Chet and Jabari in the next pod. So uh, this has been the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsors once again at Global Shop Solutions. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo. At globalshopsolutions.com. Thank you.